Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Well Then Podcast. I am beyond excited. And you know what? I've actually been sitting with this a lot. I use the word I'm so excited or the phrase I'm so excited to introduce new guests all the time. And I need to come up with more vocabulary to encapsulate how overjoyed, thrilled I am to invite particular people onto this show. And this is one of those times. This is one of those people where excited doesn't even begin to cover it. I had the honor of having the most beautiful conversation with a new friend of mine. Her name is Britley Williams. She is a licensed trauma-informed coach and breathwork facilitator, and she's the owner and CEO of Divine Your Life Coaching. Her passion is really helping women bridge the gap between their mind and body so that they can rediscover the power of their intuition and come back into their authenticity, which is a theme we talked a lot about in this episode. Britley was one of the amazing facilitators that we had at my recent women's wellness event, Glowfest in Los Angeles, for those of you who follow me on social media and learned about that. And we became instant friends, like soul connection. We have so much in common. We are collaborating on lots of things. I came on her podcast. She came on mine. We're going to do many part twos and threes moving forward because there's just so much richness that uh, occurs when the two of us share space. Clearly, we, we've discovered, and so I'm really thrilled for you to be able to hear this conversation. She's just such a beautiful, embodied presence of love, and has so much to share about her own personal journey, the things that she struggled through and learned from and healed from to get into a place of more authenticity and truth and embodiment within herself. And I love just how vulnerably and transparently she shares her story and the tools and resources that have helped her along the way. You can also look forward to her being a new practitioner in the self-care space. She's going to be bringing her gift of leading breathwork sessions into the self-care space, which for those of you who don't know, is my self-guided therapy membership for women. So all of her links and those links will be shared in the show notes below. Check those out, follow her, come attend some of her guided breathwork events. And I'm really excited for you. There's that word again. (laughs) I'm really excited, happy, thrilled full of love for you to be able to hear this conversation with Britley. Hello, my love. Welcome to the Well Then podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, love. I'm so honored to be here. I have listened to this podcast for like a year and it's kind of surreal that I'm on as a guest today. I'm I'm in love. Oh, that truly like makes me giddy inside because I don't know if you feel this way with your podcast, but a lot of the times, you know, podcasting it's either a solo experience or just one-on-one with the person you're interviewing. And then it just kind of can feel like you're just sending it out into the void. Mm -hmm. You don't get that immediate feedback like you would get on a social media post or something like that. And so whenever I hear from people that listen to an episode that resonated with them or have been listening for a while, I'm like, oh my gosh, people are hearing this. That's so cool. Totally. It's so confirming because we do, we spend so much time speaking our heart out into the world. And then I'm like, is anybody listening? (laughs) And then one person will be like, oh, I like this episode resonated today. And I just, it's exactly what I needed. And I'm like, oh, it makes it all worth it. I'll do it all over again. You know, it really is. And I, I love this format so much too, because you can 
really dive deep and go into so much juiciness with the people that you're talking to. And it's just such a cool way to share stories, to share resources and wisdom and knowledge. So I'm really grateful for you coming on my podcast. And I'm so grateful for your podcast as well, which we'll we'll have to share with people too, because we did a, a little part one of our <laughs> interview over there. And I'm I'm just so excited to continue that conversation here. Me too, love. And I agree. I started my podcast because podcasting opened my eyes so much. And it was such a big part of my journey, my healing journey, my awakening space. And so I just wanted to give back, right? Like I wanted to be that for somebody else. And yes, we went so deep yesterday into my podcast and I was like, you're going to have to come on again because you almost get in flow and you get deeper and deeper and layers and layers. There's so much to be shared and there's so much resonance in these conversations. And so I'm like, well, you're going to have to come on about five more times to wrap this one up. (laughs) So maybe We'll try to condense it down today. We'll see how we do. Oh, we're definitely going to be doing multiple parts. It it makes me understand how, and I don't know if you're familiar with Andrew Huberman, the Huberman Lab Mm -hmm. podcast. He has Mm -hmm. really wonderful, deep scientific dives into, you know, lots of different kinds of biohacking, things like that. And, you know, most of his episodes are two and a half plus hours and he provides so much knowledge and, and depth in them. So it makes sense. But occasionally when I go to listen to a new episode, I'm like, wow, how can he talk for that long? Like, how can he go that deep into a subject? But then I sit here and talk to somebody like you and I'm like, oh my God, we could talk for six hours easily. (laughs) (laughs) We won't do that to y'all today. We'll break it up into parts. (laughs) But let's just start with some context for for people in my audience who are new to you. I would love for you to share a little bit of of your background and and your story. We're going to get into a lot of your work today around the realm of somatic healing and breath work and all the embodiment practices that you live so fully and, and exude so fully yourself. And I would love to hear how you got started in the, in that realm and in that work for yourself. Yeah, of course. It's so funny. This is the only question that ever makes me nervous and mm-hmm. it's like the most rehearsed, but I think <laughs> It's the most vulnerable and it's like, it's never the same, right? I never start at the same point, but, um, I grew up in a middle-class, you know, family. Uh, my parents did the best that they could. I was very well supported. I was moved from Utah to Austin in elementary school. So that was kind of where things started to shift for me. I was pulled away from my dad and I had to create new friends and I had a lot of resentment towards my family. And there was a little bit of rebellion that I think planted in my heart, even at the young age of eight years old. Um, And my parents kind of met me with just giving me whatever I wanted and needed at the time because they felt bad, right, for pulling me out. And I just named that because I think that's where some of these resistances started. And I was able to kind of retaliate in some ways. So that did carry into, you know, middle school, high school experiences. I was a little bit of a wild child, (laughs) um, always pushing my edges, a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, um, which you know, taking me into college, then kind of started to settle down and started a real estate career really young at the age of 17. Wow. That's when I started to, yeah, 17. Back then in Austin, I think you could get your license at 18. So I started at 17. So the day I turned 18, I could get it and was, you know, financially independent from then on and was really a hustler, kind of a perfectionist, always made straight A's. And nobody cared, by the way. My parents were like, cool, good for you. Like there was no expectation of me other than just the criticism and expectation of myself, right? So 
did real estate for seven years um, into pharmaceutical sales, which I actually overlapped. So I had two full-time jobs, which kind of led me to the breaking point that I love to talk about. I was 23. I was carrying two full-time jobs. I was at the height of an eating disorder and I had all my value wrapped up in money and image and everything other than just me and who I was. In fact, I didn't really know who I was. Um, I was in a long-term relationship with a puppy and a house and six figure careers and like everything that anyone could have possibly quote unquote wanted and everything that I thought that I wanted. Right. Um, and I was so miserable, like just so much angst and anxiety built up in my body, so much discomfort and confusion, no real community of friends that were like really, really unconditional and supportive in there for me. And me either, right? Like I didn't show up in that way either. I was flaky and I overcommitted and underdelivered in like every capacity. So at 23 years old, I hit a wall and I was like, I've got to figure out how to change the trajectory a little bit, especially when it came to my eating disorder, because it was taking up so much of my mental capacity, right? Like laying in bed at night, rehearsing what I ate and what I would do differently the next day. Like it was just consuming me. Um, And so the first thing I did was dive deep into podcasts, started doing my own research. And then I stumbled across somatic therapy, which I had no idea what that meant, but entered a somatic therapy cohort because of, you know, the pain point selling, like get you unstuck back into your body. And I'm like, sure, whatever, I'll say whatever it takes. So I entered this course really with the anticipation to pull myself out of this and figure out why I'm not content with the beautiful life around me. And all it did was show me that it had nothing to do with me. Really? I mean, it had everything to do with me and nothing to do with me. So I'll elaborate, but it, it, I was just not in the place that was going to be expansive for me. I was not in the place that was going to be supportive for me. I was unhappy because I was out of alignment in every relationship and every career and every direction of my life. So while I thought that I was the problem and I was the one that was unhappy and never going to find complacency anywhere, it was it was true because it wasn't my calling, right? It wasn't my space and place and time. So when I started to wake up to that idea that yes, I had so much healing to do, but I started to get to know myself. I started to get curious about the life that I had created and manifested around me. I quickly came to learn that the partnership that I really wanted to work towards, I no longer really desired and it just didn't fit. And maybe that was okay. Right. In a space and time where that had never been an option, like maybe it was okay that the six figure job and the money was actually really toxic and it wasn't what I desired to to walk in vocation with. And it wasn't my service in this world. And maybe the guy that checked all the boxes at the time, possibly I could have outgrown. And maybe the town that I grew up in 16 years, like maybe that wasn't home for me anymore. Right. So all of a sudden these, these wheels started to turn and people started to think I was going a little bit crazy. And in a way I was, but it was exciting. Um, so all that to say, you know, packed up my stuff, moved across the country by myself in a Subaru with, you know, left the puppy behind. That was definitely the hardest part onto this big new adventure. And what I found and what I was met with when I landed here was like, Oh, I get chills. Like, and maybe you can feel it through the podcast. It was just undeniable, like alignment. I quit the job. I made all these new connections with women who were so amazing and supportive. They literally rewired my attachment system because they were just there. They were there to hold me. They loved me for exactly who I was. 
I started in this new career space of breathwork and somatic healing. I deep dove into my healing. I met and attracted a beautiful relationship that I was able to sustain while I was here and, and got to learn a lot about each other and all of this full circle experience of the universe showing me like, yes. And it was such confirmation, you know? And so that leads me to where I am today, which is wanting to show women how possible it is to go from chronic disconnection and stress and hypervision, like, and all like disconnect from the body and just identifying in your aesthetic and your physical body, rather than knowing your truth and knowing how powerful you are and that there's actually nothing outside of you. that's going to be as fulfilling as the self-love you could cultivate within. And that's like all I ever want to teach and preach. And it's, it's the most liberating and beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that I met that resistance to come here. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so much that's resonant and beautiful about what you just shared. And I think one of the things, I mean, I relate to everything. There's, there's so many similarities when I hear you talk, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like, of course we were meant to connect. We're like twins in so many ways. Uh, But I love that when you get to this place where you realize what it feels like to go from that, that woman who's disembodied, disconnected from yourself and not even living in a concept of like what could be possible for you because you're so deeply entrenched in the, this is what I, not even this is what I should want, but this is what I believe that I do want because that's all I've known. It's all I've seen. And then you, you do the hard work to, to climb out of that and to move into this space of healing and ultimately this really grounded embodied version of yourself once you feel that it's like you have to teach it you have to share yeah. it with other women because it's so liberating yeah. you're like everybody needs this everybody deserves this and I just see that radiating from you so much that you are just really in your gift when it comes to sharing these types of tools with women and helping guide them back home to themselves Thank you, love. That means more than you know coming from you. And it's so true. In that space and time, I really didn't believe that there was much more out there for me. You know, I was going to get married and have the kids and do the house. And there's nothing wrong with that path of life, but just to also be so limited in our in our creativity and our abundant stories and and what we want to identify as and who we want to step into, just thinking that I was kind of stuck and stagnant and I had committed. So that was my truth versus questioning everything and whose truth it actually was and who I was really trying to impress and what shoes I was trying to fill that literally didn't fit my feet. Right. And stepping into the space. Now I'm like, look, I'm not in the business of making you change your career and break up with your boyfriend in every case. Now, if that happens as a byproduct, beautiful, but it's just about getting really clear with what do you desire? Mm-hmm. Who are you in your most authentic expression? And what if we met her again, reclaimed her? And then what would she have to say about the life that you're living, right? Yeah. And there's there's one, I mean, every piece of your story that I'm curious to dig into, but mm-hmm. one piece from, from the beginning of your story that is something that I've spent a lot of time reflecting on, and that's the kind of body image eating disorder recovery mm-hmm. piece. That's something that we also share in common. I, I went through that struggle myself as well. And I think that there's a lot of overlap between that like type A perfectionist always gets the straight A grades, you know, working as early as you can, like trying to control all the parts of my life. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of overlap with that and the eating disorder uh, archetype. Um, but one thing that I've really come to feel so deeply is that this 
overemphasis on the physical body for women in particular of like needing our bodies to look a certain way, needing to exert so much control over them to the point where, like you said, it consumes your thoughts. Like you're up mm -hmm. all night thinking about your body or the food you've eaten or haven't eaten or the movement you've done or haven't done wow. that all of that is a distraction mm. from our power, from our gifts, from mm. the greatness that we could be stepping into. And we just don't realize that when we're so in it, so consumed by like, this feels really important. Needing my mm -hmm. body to look this way or feel this way feels like the most important thing. I think that that's almost like in a way, like culturally, you know, societally permeated and designed to keep us distracted from the big things that we could be up to. And that for me was a really big revelation in my own journey. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that one. And then also what that part of your, your journey looked like, because I know eating disorder recovery can be hard and, and looks different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, love. I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that about your story. It wasn't only important to me, it was life or death. <laughs> and I say that people are like, really? I'm like, yeah, it was life or death for me to look the part and sustain my quote unquote image felt like in my system, life or death, mm -hmm. connection or disconnection, acceptance or, you know, ostr ostracized. How do you say that word? I was trying yeah. to sound smart. Uh, like uh, <laughs> being ostracized. I, I see where you're going with it though. Like ostracization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. It's definitely. Yeah. Or totally. um, yeah. And, and, you know, even tracing back, you know, there's so many like free concerts that I got into or male attention that I, that I got. So there was a lot of validation in that belief too. And I want to just, I want to just take a moment and pause there because you're so right. Like there's, there is a lot of validation and there's a lot of societal conditioning and just noise and illusions and misconceptions of how you must look. And, and that makes it really, really hard on us women. So like, you're not alone in that pressure. And it is, it is pressure. It is like defeating, compounding pressure on us as women. And I just want to name that because it's, it's a hard space to be in. And I will never forget. I was walking my dog in Texas when it occurred to me like, what, what if I gained weight? <laughs> like, I think the idea that came up is like, I think I'm going to stop going to the gym. I don't like, I didn't know, I didn't have any resources and I didn't really have the money in this time and space to just, you know, spend in a lot of therapy. So it was like all self reflection and resources and podcasts. And one of the podcasts was like, maybe take a break from the gym and start to just slow down. And it terrified me. Mm -hmm. I was like, absolutely not. I go to the gym twice a day. And how else would I burn off all the calories? Like there was just such a mental spin. And I remember like going on this like two hour walk and just being like, what if I didn't go to the gym mm -hmm. and just like feeling for the first time, like, oh my gosh, that feels really terrifying. All right. Well, why does it feel so terrifying? Well, because really, you know, and this is all inner dialogue, you're going to gain weight. I'm like, okay. And what if I gain weight? Well, then no, no one's going to look at you. Then what do you have to offer? Literally, you know, like, and I just kind of had this inner dialogue with myself and I got to this conclusion of like, all of my worth is wrapped up in my body image. And don't get me wrong. You know, I was skinny and all the things, but I was like, binging and, and just chronically stressed. And my body and I were at war, like my mind and my body felt like they were at war day in and day out. And the first thing that I did was bring it to my partner 
who he was really amazing, but he didn't have the emotional intelligence to hold me. And that could be something that's really hard for us women is to, to build up that vulnerability and bravery to take it to somebody and then them not hold it in the capacity that they need. Right. Which is not always their faults, but I remember him saying something, well, like, babe, just don't think about it or just put the peanut butter down. Like something very nonchalant when really every little inner part of me was like, building up all of this momentum just to be defeated and deflated all over again. And so I want to name that piece too, because it wasn't just like I decided that I was going to heal and it was a smooth process. It was so much trial and error and then success and then failure over and over. But really what it came down to, and I do tell this story all the time was breath work. Mm. And I don't love saying that one modality healed me of everything. Right. But it was the modality that after a certain amount of time, I felt like my mind and body put their weapons down Mm. and they were on the same team. It was like, it clicked in a way that my subconscious was never going to be able to wrap its head around that. Like my brain and my body are on the same team. Mm. They want to function and operate and optimize in vitality for me with me every day. And I couldn't get it. Like you could tell me that and I could read it in the books, but when I felt it, the felt sense of coherence and connection, like that bridge was gapped. It was like, I wanted to just cry and hold myself and apologize in a million different fashions from, for the body that works on my behalf day in and day out for how hard I had been on it, Mm. you know? Yeah. Oh, and that is such a profound, beautiful, sacred place to come to when you realize, when you have that moment of realization of like, oh my gosh, I've been sitting here for years fighting, battling my body. And this whole time it's been on my team. It's been on my side. Like it's been, it has my best interests at heart. And I thought that we've been at war this whole time. That is such a game changer. And it's so beautiful that breathwork was able to, to bring you to that place because it's something that a lot of people never access. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, With or without eating disorders, right? I think we kind of live in a chronically disconnected society and age where we're constantly being pulled in different directions. There's so many distractions to actually fill into our bodies and go to those discomfort or uncomfortable places and emotions is just not really permitted. It's not taught. It's not it's not very popular in this day and age. So to be able to just know and connect with your body and know that it is like this beautiful vessel. And one thing that I'll say is when I did heal from my eating disorder, which took me about a year and a half, truly to really fully come to the conclusion and feel like, okay, I could eat whatever I don't binge. It's been, you know, six months and it, and now it's been three years. So I'm celebrating a three year recovery period, but my body, like the actual physical body is thriving, right? Like it actually looks exactly how I always wanted it quote unquote to look like maybe with a few pounds extra, but like curvy and and sensual and feminine. And it doesn't even, I don't even think about it. And I kind of eat and balance and and do the movement and everything, but it's like as a byproduct of me just releasing just like everything in our life and surrendering Mm -hmm. our grip, the byproduct tends to really be health and vitality. And I don't store chronic stress anymore. So I don't have that inflamed belly. I don't beat myself up and over-exercise and get injured. Like there's so much, I don't know. There's just so much to more than healing and eating disorder. When you just come into your body, there's, there's so much vitality and connection to be had there. I love that you shared that as your experience so much as well, because 
I don't know if you ever ran across this, but especially in the more clinical recovery space, the clinical eating disorder recovery Mm -hmm. space, there's this narrative that floats around a lot that an eating disorder is akin to like an addiction or alcoholism. And it's something you have to struggle with for the rest of your life. And it's one day at a time. And Mm -hmm. I know for some people that that is their experience. And so obviously want to honor and, and validate that that might feel very real for them. But when I was going through my own recovery process, for me, it was really empowering to feel like I could get to the point where this wasn't going to be something that I would have to think about and actively struggle with for the rest of my life. And and it takes time, but I ultimately did. And I love sharing that with people similarly to the, the way yeah. you just shared that like it can be so beautiful on the other side of it where you're not thinking about the food you eat or the way you move, you're just naturally in communion and connection with your body in a way that you feel so vital and radiant and like you love the choices that you're making and they do come intuitively to you. And I, I do, for anybody who's listening who it struggles with, like whether it's, you know, a full-blown eating disorder, disordered eating patterns, or just body image issues that there is another side of that where it's not a daily struggle anymore and you can get to a place where it's fully surrendered and fully released. And so thank you for sharing that. It's so validating for people to hear. Yeah. And thank you. Cause yes, in relation, I understand if that is you, how, how the light at the end of the tunnel is nowhere to be found. And you're like, but you don't know how bad it is and how long I've carried it. And I'm like, just like Megan said, and you're not meant to carry this forever and you will not. Yeah. Like there is so much liberation for you and you are so beautiful in your body. And we just got to kind of integrate and bring that connection together. And babe, it's here for you whenever you're ready for it. Truly. Yeah. And building upon what you shared earlier, I think you made a really great point that, you know, it's not just people who've struggled with, with eating disorders. It's hard for most of us to be in our bodies for all kinds of reasons, you know, just at a base level that our society is designed in a, a way right now that keeps us disconnected and keeps us more connected to tech and keeps us more connected to all of this external pressure and validation and, and less connected to the body. So there's that alone, but a lot of people also experience that their body isn't a safe place to be because of past trauma, because of past wounds and past hurt that might feel a little bit too big or scary or heavy to revisit and process and, and feel. And I totally get that as well (laughs) to not want to have to dive into those depths. So what would you say to somebody who's like, okay, I get that breath work helped bring you home to your body and that sounds cool, but it also sounds terrifying because my body Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like a safe place to be. So what do I do? Such a good question. And so true. Right. And especially for me in a season, like the last thing that I wanted to do was sit still in meditation with the body that I hated the most. Right. And didn't feel safe in and the body that quote unquote betrayed me in my mind at that time in so many ways. Right. I suffered some sexual trauma at, in college. And so like, even that, right. I'm like, you're not to be trusted. You're like, I have to almost disassociate from you to protect myself and stay strong because when I go into you it feels like all of those memories rush back so boy oh boy do I see and hold and honor all of you women listening today um and so it took time right and and it I think it really is different for every person what really worked for me was starting with like the science right because that was still kind of the analytical mind I was like okay I can wrap my mind around the science of the nervous system I can't go there yet because god forbid (laughs) but I can I can wrap my head around the science of the nervous system and even start to 
tap into the idea that trauma is stored in the body and that maybe my body is this filing cabinet for every memory, every emotion, habit, everything inside of me as one. And, and just becoming aware, aware is always the first place to be, right? Curious and aware mm-hmm. of like, what is true and like, what could possibly be happening inside of my body or maybe even why is an eating disorder triggered? And then when you start to learn that it has actually nothing to do with you and your body and everything to do with your perception of value and how you want to show up and find connection. And as human beings, we're just trying to meet a need, then maybe you start to identify and become clear of what the need is. And then you're like, well, if this is a need, maybe I could just meet this need in another way. And so without even having to go into the body right away, just like gathering awareness, talking to people like Megan and myself, sliding into our DMs, asking us questions, being open to the idea of that cognitive space even first before we fully go into the body and waiting until that feels safe and until your system is ready for that because we don't want to just throw you in right that can be re-traumatizing that can be all the things and it can be really overwhelming and I'm so glad you mentioned this because we never talk about this but becoming aware starting to to cue into the the habits that are unhelpful the limiting beliefs that you tell yourself maybe understanding where they stem from and then from there knowing and bringing from the subconscious into the conscious awareness those aspects then from there we can work on on bringing the body to board bringing the body to speed and into integrating that as the new truth the helpful things that is <laughs> yeah Oh, I love that so much. And is that what that process looked like for you in your healing journey? Like when you started to cognitively understand, okay, this is the way my nervous system works. This is the way my body works. Was there a tipping point then where you were willing to say, okay, let me actually dip my toe in feeling this, like going beyond Mm -hmm. just the logical understanding of it. Now I'm ready to actually explore. And I, I feel like I've built kind of this safety net, this understanding as a safety net of, I know what could come up? I know what could happen when I go into a breathwork session or some nervous system regulation tools. And now I feel more prepared for that. These are such cool questions. I've never been asked these things in this way. So I'm, I'm having to think, but what comes up immediately is when I learned about the polyvagal theory, mm-hmm. which is um, by someone named Stephen Gorgeous. He originated this idea that we live in three different states and we won't get into the states fully here. That's probably another episode, <laughs> but ideally, right. We live in kind of a fight or flight state or sympathetic state, which is where majority of us live in day to day. Or we can fall into a dorsal state, and that's more of a hopeless, depressive state where we become immobile. Or we can be in ventral, which is a really present and attentive state where we feel into our body and we're connected. That was the bridge, I think. And I again, I've never been asked this question, but the bridge was learning, okay, so I'm always operating in one of three states. And then within those three states, I drew myself a ladder. Like, okay, if I'm in sympathetic, if I'm in fight or flight, am I on 10? Like I'm raging in traffic and going to fight the girl next to me? Or am I at a one where I'm just feeling a little bit of angst and discomfort and panic and beginning to like actually ask my body, like, okay, what state am I in? Right. Because what do I have to do? I have to connect to the body. I use the science and the research and the information that I've accumulated. And then I check in with my body. I have to. And then all of a sudden I started making ties. Okay. Well, I'm in sympathetic. Well, I've kind of figured out that I'm in sympathetic most of my morning. Well, I kind of figure out that I'm in sympathetic most of my morning after I drink coffee. Well, I kind of, right. And then all of a sudden you're like bringing awareness into the body. You can actually pinpoint when you went into dorsal, when you started to fall into that hopeless, slippery slope of, of kind of depression and sorrow and sadness, or when you were just hyperactive and you went and sped throughout your day without 
any intentionality or presence. And then you sat down at the end and you're like, what even happened today? I don't even know what happened. Right. So, so that was a beautiful bridge for me to bring in all of that awareness and science, but then actually start to question like, okay, so where do I fall? Mm-hmm. What state am I in? What triggered that state and how do I get out of that state? And then all of a sudden I had all these tools under my belt without even trying by just bringing awareness to that. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And and the reason I asked this question, because I could tell by the, the way that you were communicating this, that I believe that we all have these different entry points or doorways to mm-hmm. into the work to make it feel accessible. And some of us are naturally more intellectual and we need to have a logical understanding of the way things work to be able to access it. And then some of us are a lot more of that kind of well, I think we're all a balance of all these things, but a lot of us are more connected to the more intuitive feeling side innately. And mm-hmm. so we have to access it through the sensations first, and then we can make sense of it. Then we have the yes. like embodied understanding of it. And yes. I think it's so cool to hear, like you shared what works for you and the ladder analogy, which I love so much. And, yeah. it, you know, is, is I think such a great representation of, of polyvagal theory in action. Um, and it's such a practical way to see how it shows up in your own life. And it gives people permission of like, if they're not feeling ready to dive into the depths of, of what's going on in their body yet, like, let mm-hmm. me just map the science mm-hmm. onto my life oh, first and yes. have an understanding of what what's going on and see like what symptoms and triggers are coming up in my life. And then once I feel like I have that understanding, that might make me feel safe to go deeper. And it, yeah. uh, I feel like the way you communicated that was just so perfect and spot on. Oh. I love the way you communicated that. And it's funny because I've kind of created my, my course. I have one-on-one clients to be reversible in that way. Mm-hmm. So three months is spent in really aware, becoming aware, awareness, subconscious reprogramming. And then the other three months is really focused on integration, really feeling into the body, really creating that as new truth. But guess what? Some clients need one or the other first, right? And I'm so flexible because I'm like, I understand that. And I know that we have to meet your system where it's at. I can't come in with my way of learning and teach it to you and pray that it works at the end. We have to come in with your way of learning and at your pace. So it's so true. And and permissioning yourself too, if you're listening, like maybe that doesn't work for me and that's perfect. Like we, we all too often want to just fit into somebody else's process and fit into somebody else's strategy, strategy or story. But it's like, uh, uh-uh, girlfriend, you have a completely different story. And if any of mine resonates, try it on for size. But if something that Megan says resonates, try that on for size. I think we just have to give ourselves more permission to operate in the way that feels best to us. There is not a one size fits all. That's yes, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Just like we were talking about yesterday, there's no yeah. like cookie cutter approach or formula that's mm-hmm. going to work for everybody because we all have such unique physiologies and histories and experiences that we've been through and we feel safe in different contexts and different ways. And it's so important yeah. to find the tools and strategies and, and people that, that really work for you. It's funny. I actually was, uh, I saw this video or a comment on a video a couple of days ago. There's this guy on um, social media. I think he's mainly on TikTok, but maybe Instagram as well. And he gives a lot of relationship advice. I think he's got a podcast and he's like a big kind of personality in that realm. And the way that he delivers his dating and relationship advice is very like no bullshit to the point, Mm -hmm. like Mm kind of tough love a little bit, just like funny, sarcastic, doesn't beat around the bush kind of thing. And so some people might be really put off by that. And like, it doesn't feel nurturing or loving or anything, but this person who commented was like, 
no, I actually need that. When I see the really, you know, open-hearted therapists and experts online who share in really like tender ways, to me, mm-hmm. I it feels cringy and I like can't sit with it. It feels like too, mm-hmm. too soft, too lovey. And I sat with that because I feel like a person who delivers things in a really soft, nurturing yeah. <laughs> way. That's just who I am. And I, I, yeah, the other side is a little bit harder for me to do. And I was just sitting with that feeling for a little while of like, "Mm, everybody gets to access the same truth in different ways. And so how cool is it that there's all these people delivering the same truth in lots of different packages and formats and with different intonations and, and styles. And it's so cool that we all get to just resonate with what is best for us and leave what doesn't. Totally. 100%. And on the flip side of that, guess what? You get to show up in your authenticity and you're going to speak directly to someone's soul who's going to see you so clearly and vibe with your energy so much. And then there's always going to be people that aren't going to. So can't cater to everybody. My favorite quote, my grandma always tells me this. She's like, you could be the juiciest, ripest, or the ripest, juiciest, yummiest peach in all of the barrel, but there's still going to be some asshole that doesn't have (laughs) I'm like, grandma, you put an asshole in there. I don't think the quote says that, but um, let's keep it in there though. I like grandma's well, I like that, right? She always adds F-bombs to things. I'm like, that's not necessary, grandma. I love her. Um, but, but yeah, it's like, you know, he who showed up in his authentic expression, had he not, had he tried to cater to too many people would have missed a lot of them, most of them, mm-hmm. right? Trying to be all these things that he wasn't. But when he was in his authentic expression, someone's life was changed. Someone was impacted. Yeah. So just an invitation to just be you too. We need you to be you. Yeah. Is that something that you struggled with a lot in the past? I, I don't want to project here, but we have a lot of overlap and similarities. And I know when I was younger, being myself, especially when I was in the midst of struggling with like perfectionism, eating disorder, yeah. all those things, showing up as my authentic self was so hard. And I, mm-hmm. for the most part, just showed up as whoever I thought the person in front of me wanted me to be. That felt safer. That felt mm-hmm. easier. And it was a big un learning and deconditioning to, to work through that. Is that something you ever struggled with? 700%. <laughs> Still today. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's been this recent past year and I've been doing this work for three and a half now that I finally am like, look, I done caring and catering. I listened to a podcast and I wish that I could give credit to it, but I listened to too many to know who said this. Um, it was a male though. And he came on and he was basically talking about as a kid, he used to lie about his favorite color. He used to say it was blue, but it was purple. Mm. And it like hit me in my gut because I'm like, gosh, that was me too. And probably so many of us, like I would say it was purple to one person and red to another, whatever would make me feel fit in and seen. And, and I just surrendered my truth and my expression over and over and over again. And I outsourced opinions in exchange for what I knew to be real a million times over. And it really led to me being in like being in spaces in fear all of the time. Cause I was like, they're going to really find out about me. What if they really find out about me? Like, I felt like every space up until I'm serious recently, even with my, my best friends that I made in Denver for my lifetime, they will be in my wedding. And I've told them this. I'm like, I used to show up with you guys and be like, they're going to find out though. Mm-hmm. Like something's going to happen. They're going to, I'm not going to show up to something like the ball's going to drop, like really deeply rooted in my body to, to, a, to an extent that I didn't recognize it right away. 
right? But I was always living in fear. Like if they would go do something together, like like a child, I would be like, are they growing closer? Did they find out about me? And, and there's nothing to find out, by the way, right? I'm not keeping any deep, dark secret, but that's how I lived the majority of my life of like, I'm going to show up in this way. And can I, can I withstand it? And can I hold it? And can I, I keep the mask on long enough for them to like me? But then what if, how exhausting <laughs> and how terrifying if the mask accidentally slips or falls off that they see me in my raw form and then they disown me and then I've lost that connection. So yeah, I think that <laughs> answers it's in some, yeah. And, and now, honestly, I can say this and it's not about me. Like it's me being proud of myself. I'm in this space where I really feel like I show up so congruently to everything. And I'm like, I do not care. Like there's, there's just a level of like, um, of confidence that I've never had in my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. There's conviction behind the things that I want to teach and bring into this world. There's confidence in my body. There's there's so much more value in like the preciousness of life, you know, and, and the people. And then guess what? I've attracted in friends like you who I met in a day and I'm like, oh, we're done. Like, <laughs> see you. Like, I'm feel delivered. Yeah. <laughs> it gets so easy and people see you in your gifts. And it's again, like kind of like the eating disorder, the most freeing thing to come home to yourself, mm. the most freeing thing the best thing we can do in this lifetime. I truly believe. Yeah. Oh, it really is because you spend so long feeling like an other when you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, even though you like so badly want them to be your friend and for them to like you and choose you. There's this undercurrent of like, they don't really like me because that's not actually yeah. my favorite color. And that's not actually my favorite band. And like, I'm just pretending. So yeah. does anybody actually like me? And yeah. then when you come back home to yourself and, and work through that imposter syndrome and show mm -hmm. up as your authentic self more and more, even when it's scary as hell, mm -hmm. you find, oh, well, first of all, I like me. And mm -hmm. now I'm giving the right people a chance to to see that and feel into that and, and choose to be in my life or not to. And that feels so much better. Yeah. And even on a micro scale of like when we enter relationships, right, we, we do, we bring on like all the goodness. We wear the makeup every day oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're on and we're here and we're excited. And then slowly, you know, the intimacy deepens, the vulnerability shows up, our parts show up and all these things. And then we're left like, wait, who the heck are you even? Like, you are definitely not the person I fell in love with a year and a half ago or whatever. And same goes with ourself, right? Like the relationship with ourselves. like how honest are we being with ourselves? How much are we showing up authentically? What are we posting on Instagram? But what do we really want to say? Mm. Like, are we posting this picture of us at the beach while we're laying on the couch in tears? Like there's just, it's getting real and, it, and it's uncomfortable, but it's like, how could you show up A, for yourself first in truth and authenticity and realness and rawness and vulnerability. And then when you go to enter a relationship, could you bring that? Mm -hmm. Could you be a human? Could you let down your guards? Could you start with the mess? And like, I, I love that concept. Like the more that we can reflect on how we show up to things, you know, and just starting to deconstruct what is real and what is not, I guess. Yeah, that brings up a question for me that I feel like in the context of practicing learning to be your authentic self with other people in romantic relationships and friendships, it's kind of 
it's pretty clear like, okay, so that would look like me actually speaking what's on my mind and sharing what's true for me in that moment, rather than just agreeing with whatever that person said, or it looks like, you know, showing up without makeup on and hair done and all that. And just like being Mm -hmm. my, you know, raw, unfiltered version of myself and letting that version of me be loved. And, and I think in relationships, that's kind of a clear path, but I get a lot of questions from people a lot when it comes to some of these self, self, love buzzwords like we talked about self-acceptance yesterday and Mm -hmm. self-love self-care all the things so we're so entrenched in this conversation of like living your authenticity being your authentic self but for somebody who has never explored that they might not have access to what does that mean in the context of relationship with yourself like when it's just Mm -hmm. you and you how do you practice becoming more authentic, authentic, <laughs> living? <laughs> okay, no just so many, you have so many words today. Authentic. That's great. It's like a, <laughs> a bad combination. combination. <laughs> Feels honestly very real for me, though. <laughs> the more I learn about neurodivergence, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but yeah, like what are some of your practices to when it's just you and you at home to make sure mm-hmm. that you're dropping the mask and like just being with yourself? Ooh, I love this question. Okay. I actually want to pivot quickly and then I'll come back. Cause I want to start with our relationship to others mm-hmm. just because that landed so clearly as you were talking and I put it in my back pocket, but taking inventory is really important, right? That's a really good way for us to differentiate who makes me feel really, really supported in who I am. Who can I show up with the most authenticity to like, who could I kind of come messy and feel comfortable in my skin? And who could I be kind of goofy and they meet me and match me. Like, let's take inventory of the people that actually just pour life into you and really love you for you. And then making a list of those that you feel like you have to show up in a certain way for that you have to say yes to, because otherwise they'll be mad and they'll project upon you. Or maybe they give you their opinion unsolicited, like starting to actually notice like where and who make you feel really good is really, really important. And then making sure that you're putting way more energy into the people that are feeding you back life. Cause that's a good way of saying, okay, so if I show up in authenticity here and they accept me, then what is my authenticity? Like, what does that feel like? Right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to name that. And then as far as coming home to the self, something that I've just recently taken up that was so uncomfortable for a long time is dancing. Mm-hmm. I was a I dancer it. in high school and I wasn't like very good. Right. But I was a dancer nonetheless. Why and- are we the same person? Okay. Sorry, <laughs> keep going. Were you a silver star? Was that your name? <laughs> I say, danced growing up and it was the same thing. I feel like I had to like yeah. try very hard at choreography and like love dance so much, but like never considered myself to be a good dancer. I and digress like, I though. Had to try really hard. Well, yeah. other girls got it. I'm like, I had to go home and practice. And that's yeah. kind of when everything started, if I'm being honest, without being too like, you know, rigid. It's just like the leotards and like the outfits Mm -hmm. and me starting to look at my body versus her body and all these tight things. And then we'd perform at pep rallies and the football team was front row. And I'm like humiliated and and nervous. Like that's kind of when my body stuff started to be like, wait, maybe I I do care, you know? So when I started to really like come into my body and we're all on that awkward stage and we're learning what sex is and we're hearing about sex and there's just so much in that stage of life. But anyway, probably a lot to do with the reason that I didn't love to dance for a long time, especially in my eating disorder, like absolutely not moving this body of mine. Yeah. Um, as I've progressed in different somatic modalities, that was the last one to land, right? I was like, I will tap, I will breathe, I will do stretches, yoga, but like, don't ask me to dance. Even in a, in an aesthetic, a static dance that I went to, that was really freaking amazing. I still was so constricted in my movement. Yeah. 
And um, so slowly, right? We want to titrate everything. We don't want to just like go throw on music and then get frustrated with ourselves when we can't move in the way that we do. It's like, just, I started to slowly. And in fact, this is how I started. When I would get out of the bath, I would like rub like lotion on my body, but I wouldn't just like rub lotion on my body. Like I always had like, okay, done, bada bing, bada boom. I like put on some music and I like rubbed lotion on my body. Like I rubbed on, on my hands and I felt my arms and I felt my chest and heart. Like I love talking about the feminine energy and just like feeling into our beautiful bodies, my legs, like especially the parts that I didn't love, right? Like my fingertips were little antennas of love and I was just infusing it back into me. And that's kind of when I started to like move when I was like, oh, it feels good to just move and connect to my body. And then I started to dance. And, and at first I'd bring my puppy in and he'd like move with me and he was this distraction. But then I just really started to like make it a nightly thing where I would dance. And I do this a lot between client calls. And if you're like, this sounds crazy, trust me. It felt crazy for me at <laughs> first. And now it's like the most, because in what other way are we our most like open, vulnerable, creative self, right? Like that little beautiful five-year-old you, if you could just close your eyes, if you're listening and picture her, like she was not scared to dance. You, She would dance in the target aisle if when everyone's watching, if there was a song that came on that made her move, right? And so it's like, I don't know a better way to connect to that sweet little part of me that has before judgment and criticism and all the things. And it just feels real for me. It like brings me back to her and I don't care what I look like in my room in the, in the, in the heat of the night. And it's, it is, that's one of the most beautiful ways for me to connect back to me and be like, Oh, here I am. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much because I, like I said, resonate with the feeling awkward and uncomfortable in your body not feeling good dancing but then also having that deep inner craving to dance to allow your body to move in those non-linear ways and um over the past few years, definitely like with the pandemic, the more time I spent isolated and, and really focused on relationship with self, I developed this habit of, of, I have this very special playlist that just always gets me going. And I would put yeah. it on every time I would cook. And now it's just become this like beautiful, sacred evening practice. Like I finish my work day. I start with like a little mocktail and mm-hmm. I put on my playlist and I dance while I cook and I could care less about how I look. Yeah. It just feels so good. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm glad that you shared that as well, because it's just such a liberating yeah. practice. If it does feel edgy for you to take the mirrors away, like yeah, take definitely, like, that was how I had to start, right? Like take the mirrors away, do it while you're cooking. And then even in the bathroom, like don't look in the mirror, but just like lotion, feel your body to see what it feels like to move in some way. And then, and it will, it's like a practice. It's like anything. You'll just begin to build that muscle and gradually feel more comfortable. And it's, it feels so good now. I'm like John legend every night, him and I (laughs) have a date. Yes. Yeah. And you know, we were talking a lot yesterday about yoga. I'm such an advocate for like finding yoga studios that don't have mirrors and them anybody who has any history of not feeling safe or comfortable in the body. And is just getting back into movement as an embodiment practice. I'm such a fan of not having mirrors around you when you start. And then maybe the more you do it, you actually explore intentional mirror work and that becomes a whole nother deeper layer, yeah. but taking that pressure away at first of uh, needing to know what you look like, I think is so crucial for the healing process. A hundred percent could not agree more. Yeah. My goodness. Oh, there's so many, so many juicy things here. And I, I knew we'd get to this point where I would be like, okay, I want to keep going for several hours. So 
I watch the clock just because I tend to go on one. So I'm trying to be mindful. <laughs> oh, I know. Seriously, though, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I love talking to you, but I would love you to come back for a part two of if course. you're open to it. Okay. A couple things that I want to land on before we wrap up is first, just what is really calling you in the work that you're doing with women right now? And for women listening who want to learn more, how can they work with you? Yeah. Gosh, I love doing breath work so much. It's something that I set aside to build my coaching business. And I'm glad that I did. And it was necessary to go into my somatic container and really cultivate a place of safety where people can actually sustainably transform. That's what I want, right? Like there's enough information in this world. In fact, by the time this reaches your ears, there will be tenfold million more information. It's not more information that we need. It's this beautiful integration. It's bringing the body on board. And so I love what I do in the somatic sense. And I do have a beautiful six month container called soul strong for the woman who is ready to step into that. Um, but, and, and, and breath work. I love leading breath work because it was such a huge it was such a huge and powerful modality for me that that really did transcend me in a in the fastest way possible, and um, I love it. I have so much passion for it. I think there's so much beauty to it. There's so much healing in it. It's it's allowing ourselves the time and space to connect to our body and the breath. I always say, what's between life and death? The breath, right? It's the most important and unlimited resource that we have. So love to lead breath work, whether that's one on one or in person or group or all the things. Um, and yeah, and then I'm also launching a program. I'll just drop that. It's called Emerge. It's an eight-week program. And I'm that one woke me up in the middle of the night. That's breathwork and the somatic modalities. So it's two in one coming together. It's at a beta price because it's a beta launch. And I'm taking 10 people, men and women actually, hmm. um, into that one, into that space. So if you're interested in that, just let me know. You can go to my Instagram, the links in the bio and not to preach or sell too hard, but those are the, the areas that I'm really pouring into right now. Beautiful. Yeah. And we're going to include all your links in the show notes. So everybody mm -hmm. who's listening, I definitely recommend you go check that out. Give Britley a follow because she's amazing and just such oh. a beautiful soul. And I know you'll resonate with her right away. And as you were speaking, I realized I definitely need you to come back for a part two because I'd love to have you on the podcast to do a little bit of a mini guided breath work for people. Oh, yes. So, yep. yeah, we need to do that next time. 1000%. I love that. Yes. Yes. Yes, okay. yes. yes. Amazing. The last question that I love to ask people who come on the show, I feel like this is going to be, uh, I'm curious to hear your answer because we've already talked about so many practices at this point. But mm -hmm. I would love to just hear what is one wellness practice that either is foundational for you, like can't live without it, or just one that you've been really loving lately? Okay. Already have the answer. This one has changed so much of my, just my internal state of being. So it seems so simple and you hear about it all the time. It's a gratitude practice, but I've learned recently that it actually takes 17 minutes of sitting in one gratitude for it to really manifest and for your body to really calibrate and it to, mm. to feel real to you. So that being said, I've been doing gratitude every single day for about 56 days now, maybe a little bit more now I stopped counting, but 
at least 56. And every single morning, first thing, hand on my heart, hand on my belly, eyes closed, propped up. I like to like sit up with my back supported and my head loose so that I don't fall back asleep. (laughs) And sitting in gratitude, I usually pick three things. Sometimes I go on and on and on. But what's interesting is I don't always pick gratitude for the things that are apparent. Like, Mm -hmm. because at first it was like my beautiful house, my health, my puppy. And I found myself returning to those. Now I've started to find gratitude in the things that are sticky, mm-hmm. right? Like the money in my bank account, the things that I don't like, not that it's not there, right? But what is there? Like the beautiful support of savings that I've accumulated over time and the way that it just supports me and sits there and is on and trust me, like creating dialogue for the things that actually feel sticky in our life. If, if it is our health, being grateful for our health and that it is healing and that we are healing and that our bodies are like operating on our behalf. So, so that's the key for me is like the gratitude practice. Yes. The complete intentionality and presence with it. Yes. Timing yourself for more than 17 seconds or just really allowing yourself to not just check the box, but to be in it. Because when you can cultivate gratitude first thing in the morning, they say the first thing that we, uh, or the first dopamine hit we have in the day is the one we return to out throughout the day, right? So if it's your phone, subconsciously, the dopamine hit you're going to search for all day is your phone. But if the first one is gratitude, gratitude for the things that are, are sticky, every time that thing comes up, you're like, well, I was already grateful for it this morning. It's just changed everything. And it's, it's like in lifetime, I've watched things in my life transform due to that practice. So I encourage you to drop into that and pick the things that feel hard to be grateful for right now and find a way. And soon enough, 10, 20 days later, you will truly be grateful for them. I promise. I love that you just made that idea of a gratitude practice so tangible as well, because it's so easy to say, just practice gratitude. But the way that you gave specific parameters and also like making sure it's the first thing that you do in the morning, because that is such an easy, quick way to shift the way your brain is wired for the rest of the day. And yeah. and anybody can think of something to sit with and be grateful for, for 17 seconds before reaching mm-hmm. for their phone. So yeah. that's, I think, such a powerful reminder for all of us. And I'm going to try that tomorrow morning. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> text me and confirm. I'll check in. On you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we could get a little accountability <laughs> chat going. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have enough to talk about. I know. I um, love it all. Yes, I do. I love that practice. And yeah, I would love to hear from the listeners too. If you're diving in, like check back in with us in 10 days. Let us know what's changed and shifted because I promise it will. Yes, please do. I think like we both said, our DMs are open. We both mm-hmm. are people who love hearing open from you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Britley, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for all the things. Honestly, I truly cannot overstate how excited and happy and grateful I am that our paths have crossed and that you're in my life. And I'm very, very thrilled about all the collaborations and things that we have coming up yeah. as well. So listeners, stay tuned for lots of fun things. Um, between Britley and I and the spaces we're both working in and definitely check out the links below so that you can follow her and check out her programs if that resonates with you Um, and yeah just thank you so much for being here thank you my love so much deep deep gratitude for you in fact you and Lauren (laughs) one of of my gratitude the connector yeah yeah I'm so so grateful for you and I just I already love you so much I feel like our souls go back in time and just grateful to be here in this beautiful community that you've cultivated I know every woman listening is like so powerful and contains all of the tools inside of them to just be such leaders in this world like I just know that about the the woman listening so I'm honored to have 
been here and spent an hour with them and with you. Oh, I just got chills. Any <laughs> any women listening who really felt that in your soul and yourselves, like I just did, I definitely recommend sharing this with other friends who might need to be uplifted with that same sentiment. And mm-hmm. other women who who could use this kind of encouragement and Britley's wisdom, definitely share the episode with them. Let us know your feedback. Uh, let's stay connected. And as always, until next time, have a happy, healthy, and love-filled day.